press. Public detractors quickly emerged. His image was permanently clouded. But at a point where his military career should have ended, his greatest achievements were yet to come. MacArthur left Washington, still too young to retire, to become advisor to President Quezon of the Philippines, with the title of Field Marshal. From here, he went on to lead U.S. and Philippine forces in the unsuccessful defense of the Philippines against Japan. Then, following his successful evacuation by PT boat, he commanded the island-hopping campaign that saw U.S. forces recapture the Philippines and move on toward Japan. It was MacArthur who accepted Japan's surrender aboard the U.S. battleship Missouri in Tokyo Bay. It was MacArthur who guided the successful occupation of Japan and its transition from wartime dictatorship to peaceful democracy. He was now a five-star general of the army and a recipient of the Medal of Honor. In 1950, when the North Korean forces crossed the 38th parallel into South Korea, the task of defeating the attack fell to MacArthur. His forces conducted a brilliant, risky amphibious assault at Incheon on Korea's eastern coast near the capital Seoul, cut off the spearheads of North Korean forces already further south, rapidly destroyed the bulk of the North Korean army, and advanced north to the Chinese border. MacArthur had simply become a larger-than-life figure. He had often had his own way and publicly spoke his mind, in spite of the misgivings and even the direction of his superiors in Washington. Twice he had flirted with an all-out campaign for the presidency as a Republican, even while on active duty, and he had maintained his distance from successive Democratic administrations. At the age of seventy, he had outlasted all his military competitors, save George C. Marshall, who became Secretary of State and subsequently Secretary of Defense. Along the way, rivals, enemies, and other controversies emerged. Rumors about him periodically surfaced. His creating his own uniform as field marshal, for example, he picked up a wounding nickname, Dugout Doug, for his failure to frequently visit his troops besieged on Bataan. Certainly, he had confidence in his own judgment on the battlefield and as a strategic commander, including surviving the terrible trials in the Pacific. But along with public acclaim, he picked up a terrible reputation for vanity and egotism. And in war, and especially theater command, leaders must understand the political environment and exercise intuition as well as hard military skills. When Chinese soldiers unexpectedly intervened in force in Korea in October 1950, MacArthur faced an unprecedented reversal in war. He needed friends, close associates, and the deepest respect at home. Instead, he found himself out of step with Washington and isolated in what looked to be a costly and losing war. And at a time when major concerns were focused on possible Soviet threats to Europe, his reputation, his character, his experiences, and especially his outspokenness in calling for victory at any price worked against him. He was relieved for insubordination and returned to the United States. MacArthur's life and career are a moving testimony to his extraordinary talents and lifelong commitment to public service in the profession of arms. But also a signal reminder that there are political boundaries in American democracy which military leaders must not cross. Moreover, as MacArthur's experience demonstrates, the conduct of war is ever-changing and not always straightforward. At the very highest levels, it merges into statecraft, politics, and international strategy, and the greatest generals must take their direction from their government's leaders. General Wesley K. Clark. Introduction. General of the Army Douglas MacArthur held his remarkably well-preserved seventy-one-year-old frame erect as his limousine crawled along a nineteen-mile course through New York City on April twentieth, nineteen fifty-one. 
His unique and extravagantly gold-braided dress hat served as a beacon, signaling to some the signature emblem of his public image, and to others his gargantuan ego. Stone and steel-sided caverns compressed the din of 7.5 million wildly cheering citizens, who bombarded the cavalcade with over 2,800 tons of ticker tape, confetti, and paper. The parade set a city record for turnout and debris. It also etched a national mark for the most tumultuous ovation ever bestowed on an American just fired from his job. This scene symbolized the truth that the one adversary Douglas MacArthur invariably routed was neutrality. Everyone agreed that he succeeded in his single-minded pursuit of greatness, but they differed sharply about whether he was great in matters that boded well or ill for the nation and the world. It would be comforting to announce that more than half a century later, only ashes of such fiery passions remain and that the task here is to articulate history's so...